Hi, this is Angel Wilson, and welcome to Spark Up. Thank you for joining me in my lovely little corner of the internet on this podcast. We're going to be talking a lot about autism, but not just autism itself. We're going to do a lot of dialogue talking to actual autistic people, getting their perspectives on autism and how it's looked at in society. We're also going to be talking to providers who provide services for autism and how they kind of see and approach autism. And we're also going to be talking to family members and get their viewpoint on what it's like to have a family member with autism. And we're going to have dialogues with all different kinds of people, including those. Some of those dialogues could get a little deep. We might talk about some, some touchy subjects like racism and access to resources. But these are all topics that we know need to be talked about. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast and my little corner of the podcast world. It is so great to talk to everyone again. Uh, we are now in the month of April and we are in Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. And so I hope everyone is taking this time to kind of, you know, research more about autism, listen to more autistic voices and learn a bit more about it so that we can build awareness and in turn acceptance of this condition. So today I have one of our service providers here in the Palm Beach County area on, and she is also a, what you would call an autism mom. She has a, a child with autism and I'm super excited to have her on. I've worked with her before. Uh, we both were in, uh, she's still at early steps. I was there many, off and on. So um, I'm super happy to have her on. And this is Natalie Eno. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it. Hi, Angel. I want to tell you, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I really appreciate uh, you being such a great ally for the autism community. Um, and I absolutely love your program and all that you're doing to bring awareness and acceptance uh, to autism. Thank oh, you. thanks. Thanks so much. So um, we've talked a little bit before we even got to the, the podcast and we're somewhat familiar. Like I said, we actually have uh, had cases together. Why don't you tell everyone who doesn't know you kind of what you do basically? So, well, of course my first job is um, a mother and mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a daughter with autism. We'll go a little bit into that. Um, but in my professional life, I have the opportunity to work for the early steps program which is the state-designated early intervention program. And uh, what's really nice about uh, what the state realized is that they realized it's important to have a parent voice in the program. And so I am the designated parent on staff. Um, and because of lived experience, I'm able to really help families and give them the support, resources, and, and hope they need uh, to start their journey. Awesome. I know you'd mentioned that you have the the lived experience. And um, if you want, you can kind of go into what you mean by that, like your experience with your uh, daughter and how like your journey with her has kind of helped you understand and reframe autism a bit better. Because um, I know she's about what, uh, 25 now, I believe. So she's an adult. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so I have I have three girls. Uh, Erica is my oldest and she was diagnosed when she was two and a half. Uh, with autism. And as you can imagine, that was the world before Google. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it was tough um, navigating. Um, and as, as far as what I've noticed is that throughout her lifetime, it's been a challenge sometimes for people to really presume confidence. Um, and so that is my mission. And I like when you said reframing autism, I really like to reframe autism for for families to let them know um, their child having a diagnosis doesn't mean that you're going to love them any less or really work towards making them be the best they can be. Right. I've noticed that with a lot of families that they uh, they hear the word autism and they kind of like freeze up and they're just like, oh, no. And a lot of times there is, I'm happy that you brought the idea of presumed competence because that's an issue that I see come up a lot. Like a lot of families ask me, oh, is it, um, does this mean that my child has an intellectual disability or, and I have to explain not necessarily, 
Uh, they can't, you can have autism without an intellectual disability, but, um, it really, it, it really is, um, interesting how much that word can strike kind of like fear into the heart of a parent. And how did you kind of, how did you and your family kind of handle that when you first got like that, that diagnosis? Well, I always have to to say um, something that's difficult about autism is that many times it's an invisible disability, so mm -hmm. you can't see it. So um, that can bring about a lot of, um, I guess you can say, angst for families because mm -hmm. they're looking at this beautiful child saying they don't look like there's anything wrong with them. But yes, we know that internally um, they're just wired a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to work with that. Um, but as far as what, what happened to me is that I actually had a feeling that my child was having some delays and this was right around 18 months mm -hmm. and so I approached my pediatrician and he really was very dismissive uh, he said it was my first child and that um, don't worry about it you just have to really get her involved with other children her age and um, so I took his advice because that's what you do you listen to your pediatrician and I enrolled her in a little preschool program that was a few hours a day. And it was really that preschool director that came up to me and told me, um, you know, Natalie, you're right. There are some things she's doing for her age that are a little bit concerning. For example, when playing with dolls, all she wanted to do was line them up. Usually by the age she was, but close to two, the children have a little more imaginative play. So with dolls, they would like play with them and make sure that they were like feeding them and dressing them. And all she wanted to do was line them up. And it was really now I know her way of just trying to keep her world in order. Um, but she was, she would also be very good when they would do scheduled activities. So when they would do circle time, she would sit, she would listen. She loved singing. She still does. So she would be very compliant. But as soon as it was free play, um, she would have a hard time and would, kind of would want to retreat. Um, and so I was very thankful that that director told me to go back to my pediatrician and really um, let them know that I should search for some more services. So that's what I did. I went back and I was really, um, she really gave me uh, power to be a strong advocate for my child. And I was able to go back to my pediatrician and say, um, you know, I'm not going to dismiss these concerns. This is what I'm feeling as a mother. So I do need to see a neurologist or a developmental pediatrician. And so at that point, he saw I was serious and I was able to go and um, get the evaluation. So once I found out that uh, she had autism, uh, remember, this was before the world of Google. So all I did was I went to the big yellow pages, the big phone book. Um, and I saw that they had the Autism Society of mm -hmm. Western New York. I was living in Western New York. So at that point, I made the phone call and there was um, a person that called and said, Oh my goodness, Natalie, there is a woman on your street. Uh, she has two boys, twin boys, one with autism and one with Down syndrome. If it's okay, I'd love to give her your name and she can come and talk to you about her experience. So I call her Hurricane Gloria because to this day, um, she really made an impact. She was the first parent I met that she came over. She was a little bit ahead of me in the journey. And she really told me, Natalie, it's going to be all right. Um, it may be a little bumpy road in the beginning, but once we get your services, I can help you get services. She started giving me numbers. Um, then it really uh, put me on a pathway. So I'll never forget, you know, having the parent-to-parent -parent support in the very beginning really empowered me, and I never want parents to feel alone in their journey, and um, so I do tell them to work hard to build that community of support. You know, we're still friends today, and our kids are in their late 20s, so. Oh, oh that's awesome. Yeah, that's something I also try to stress, and why positions like yours are so important. You know, parents need other parents for support because being an island I've seen the parents when they're kind of like an island on their own and it's really really tough when you don't have anyone to kind of bounce ideas with or share like you know pains or rants even you know about services or something going on and and if you don't have that it makes things like 10 times harder it seems 
Yeah, it's just shared, you know, shared support is always mm-hmm. the best in anything we go through. You know, if you can find someone that maybe has, has had some experience, although we all have our own journeys to take, many of our feelings are the same. Um, you know, we go through that uh, stages of grief. Um, as I know we've talked about that before that, mm-hmm. you know, it's really kind of um, a constant motion of emotions <laughs> right. um, because. That, you know, having a child, uh, even though my daughter is older, there are still some times that, um, you know, our expectations are a little sad when we know that maybe they can't do things that typical uh, people are able to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, one thing that um, we kind of like talked about before was how you kind of uh, stumbled upon what like one of your daughter's like interests were. Like, I think it was sports, if I remember right um yeah tell me kind of how you kind of found that out basically so she was the kiddo um which was a little kind of interesting for me in the very beginning when we started therapies because she was the child that was all over the place she could not sit still she would just be bouncing and she would be climbing and she was such a good climber (laughs) um so it wasn't until I really got some occupational therapy in and I learned about um, trying to calm her system down. And um, so we, this little thing would have all kinds of exercises we'd do during the day and she'd jump on a trampoline and I'd finally get her body to regulate and calm down. But um, because she always had really good abilities as far as throwing and balance, um, my mother-in-law told me about horseback riding. Mm. So she started horseback riding probably about four years old. And um, once we moved to Florida, I was looking for things for her to do. And she, by that point, was eight years old. So they said, you should enroll her in Special Olympics. They have great programs here in Florida. So um, once she started getting involved with Special Olympics, she loved every sport she tried. So she continued on with her uh, horseback riding. She had an opportunity to do surfing, paddleboarding basketball, bowling, um, and, you know, we, we just had a, she has a lot of medals, um, which makes her feel really good about herself, and she's even had a chance to go to um, some of the state games wow. uh, locally and compete, you know, uh, so that's been exciting for us, you know, to see uh, her passion and, and um, making her feel good about uh, her, what she can do. Awesome. Does she still do, do those things now? So because of COVID, you know, all, everything kind of halted. Mm -hmm. So um, we haven't gotten back to the sports. I know it's something that she does want to do, but there's a program in West Palm Beach called um, Azul. Mm -hmm. And um, she learned about, uh, we learned about Azul and she started taking classes and created her own clothing line. So she has a sustainable clothing line. She's learned all kinds of, uh, basically upcycling. I think I've heard of Azul, actually. It sounds yeah, familiar. So, I think I've heard of it. Yep. Yeah, so she's been um, working on her clothing line. She already did one clothing line, and we're working on our summer session. What's really cool is that she, she's the designer, and then um, her grandma and I are the co-designers, so we get to work on um, on it, too. So oh, um, nice. she has a whole line called E3, and uh, she's really loving creating. Um, and she also goes to a day program that she's really been enjoying in Jupiter area called Andrew's Place. Okay. So she's busy right now, but she'll get back to the sport. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good that she's she's staying busy because, again, like uh, a lot of times once, you know, they turn 18, everyone's like, OK, well, you know, bye. And so and they're not really given any kind of scaffolding whatsoever. And it's and the parents almost feel like they're kind of like, OK, we're really on our own now. So it's great that you guys have like found things that she's interested in that keep her busy and that, you know, that she feels, you know, proud of herself to be able to do and accomplish. Like that's awesome. Like her own clothing line. Wow. (laughs) Well, and that's what we have to do as parents. I mean, there are some programs there, you know, we did try going through uh, vocational resources and Mm -hmm. other programs, but sometimes it's hard to just find that right fit of, you know, she just wasn't cut out to be like a public girl, which is okay. So, you know, it's fun now that she's able to find something she really likes and to feel very productive. And I think as parents that we want that for all of our kids to find their passion. Right. 
So Natalie, a lot of uh, resources are out there for like the, you know, when the kids are really young, like, you know, especially up to like age three or age five. But I've noticed that a lot of times when they get to teenage years and puberty, you know, everything just kind of goes like haywire because they're really, I, I, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's not like a lot out there that really focuses on adolescence and autism. I mean, I know it's out there, but you have to dig in order to find it. There's nothing as obvious as say early intervention. I don't know if that was your experience kind of going through the teenage years with your daughter. Um, I definitely think there's a gap, um, gap in services. And, and I, I would really love to see that come, um, especially once, like you mentioned, you know, actually once they leave the school system, it's that's when it's really hard because depending on the path they're going to take, if, you know, if, if they don't have intellectual disabilities and if they're going to go to college, that's great. But there are, you know, a subset that, that need to have other type of programming. Um, and I know it's something that's coming. I, I see that there are people that are, um, you know, all of our kids are getting older, especially it's a lot of times the parents. Um, that's my experience with my daughter's program that she's in. Um, there was a parent that uh, her child really didn't fit the mold of what was available, so she decided to make her own school. So that's what we have to do, you know, as time goes on, more is going to come as our kids get older. Um, and I just want to mention about puberty because that is something that literally took me um, took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. of, uh, we all know that hormones go crazy. Yep. <laughs> but when you have a child, it, it was like, almost like amplified. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and so it's just something parents need to keep in their wheelhouse and make sure that they really work when they're young at giving their kids good self-regulation strategies. That's going to play a really big part um, as they're feeling a lot of emotions and the hormones are raging. And um, so it's just something I like to tell parents, you know, always keep that in the in the back of having some good strategies that uh, children can be prepared for that and families can be prepared. Right. But right. we have to give ourselves a break because we know there's no perfect parents out there. Um, and parent, parenting in general can be stressful. So I just always like to, you know, make sure parents know the importance of keeping that self care. I think you actually have like, you had like an ABC of so ABCs of self care. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I do. I, I always, and this is something I, I have to practice a lot and I have to remind myself. Um, I, I tell parents this a lot and then I have to say, Hey, I better be practicing when I'm preaching here. Right. But I like to say um, the ABCs of self care is awareness. Um, we have to kind of halt sometimes. Sometimes we have to realize wow, life is getting hard. Let's take a step back. Let's take a moment to be quiet and see if we can figure out some strategies for ourselves. Um, we have to find that balance. That's B. And, um, you know, a balance for me could look different for you, but, you know, we just have to find it, find out what, what works. And um, we can't give up connections. Connections is that C. And um, even if we just have that one person I have a few of my friends that I call them my no matter what friends and I can go to them no matter what and they kind of get it you know they they kind of get it if um if I I can just tell them I, you know I need them to listen at the moment and um and they'll be there for me no matter what not thinking that I'm overreacting which sometimes I do so <laughs> <laughs> How do you kind of maintain those connections? Because sometimes parents have told me like, oh, you know, I have friends, but it's kind of difficult, especially when things get revved up or it's the beginning of the school year, or if there's all this stuff happening, like how do you kind of like have set times that you meet up or, or like, how do you maintain it basically? Well, I think sometimes um, because we're so busy, we have to have friends that they're okay if we don't talk to them for <laughs> for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden we give them a call because because they know we're all in the rat race together so it's kind of like just finding your tribe finding people and friends that understand um you're not the type that could be on the phone all the time or get together but when you can you take advantage of that time and it's precious time and you use that to um both refill your cup you know because 
We want to find people that have good energy and that can keep up with us and, and help us when we're really down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think when we talked earlier before, you also mentioned how it's important to, if you have other children, maintain the relationships of, with other children and with, you know, other family members. Because again, it can be really time consuming, you know, focusing on the child, the autistic child or the special needs child. And how how do you like solve that? Because I think you said you have three total, three girls, I think yeah. you said. Yeah. So how do you kind of balance out times so that the other two girls also don't feel like, you know, oh, mom is, is off <laughs> over there now kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So um, I have to tell you, early on, I feel like I was really, really fortunate. Um, I went to an autism conference and there was a panel of siblings. Mm. And that really so made an impact on me because everyone on that sib panel, all of the kids were overachievers. They mm. were just great. And um, one of them said, they feel the pressure. They felt the pressure of having to be good all the time, having to have good grades, having to do, um, because they saw their parents having such a hard time with the, their sibling that had a disability that they didn't want to add to that. Um, but in turn, they had a lot that they were dealing with that maybe came out a little bit later. Um, and so that always stuck with me. And uh, one of the siblings said that their parent would always take time with them. So. Um, I took that advice, and when my girls were growing up, there would be times when I would take one of my daughters out early out, out of school. I'd just surprise her, and, and she'd be like, why are you taking me out? I'm like, hey, we're going to go. What do you want to do? It's your time together. But I tried to make it a point to do at least once a month to do something special with each of my girls, and I really do think that helped. Sometimes I wish I would have done more with them together because when I look back, I was in such a rat race with Erica, like making sure she had therapy, 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 that, um, you know, uh, there were times maybe that I could have just said, hey, let's just all go to the beach and work on being, you know, good sisters. But that's kind of looking back. But they're okay. They all love each other. And and I know that they're going to be there for their sister when she needs them. I'm really glad you brought up siblings because a lot of times that 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 piece of the of the whole situation kind of gets it's not that it gets completely ignored, but um, a lot of times I don't think we be it parents or providers kind of realize, hey, you know, this this is affecting them as well. And it may not be in a very obvious way. They may not be the type that's going to lash out or try to get attention. They may be the type that, like you said, ends up becoming a super overachiever and tries to like, OK, let me try to not rock the boat at all at any point in time and that can in some luckily the panel that you saw the kids seemed all like happy and positive but I know that there have been some where that's built resentment because of the fact that yeah. they you know they 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 could they felt like they got kind of inadvertently cheated of their own childhood yeah another thing I wanted to say about that too I really think it depends on their birth order mm. um for example like my daughter was the oldest Mm-hmm. So her younger siblings, like they didn't know different until they kind of got older and came to awareness, like understanding what autism was, Right, you know, that they accepted her because that's all that they ever knew. And as they got older and, and um, you know, they were better educated. Uh, it's interesting how it made them better adults in a lot of situations um, and very understanding and very compassionate and very accepting. But I can I, I know with my middle daughter, um, she did feel cheated of having an older sister. Mm. You know, she even expressed that like, I, I feel like I'm the older sister, mm. even though I have an older sister. And right. she is the one that is very, um, you know, always the one that I could count on. And she is like the older sibling. So it's kind of just interesting. I think it kind of depends on the dynamic of uh where the uh is it the oldest it's the youngest Some, sometimes when it's the youngest it's almost easier because they have like little mother hens or little you know older brothers right. that will take them in um but either way it's hard being a sibling it's not their yeah. choice it just happens <laughs> so yeah. we yeah. just have to support them and and I love that you know providers like you realize like let's give a little attention to these siblings they're little rock stars too Oh yeah. I had a um family um in when I lived in California and I think they were uh Mexican and they had a, a big family. They had I think like I think this child 
he wasn't even the the youngest. There was one like little baby that came after him, and he had one older sibling who was um bl- you know blind. So all the siblings had some experience already work you know ha- having a child that had or a sibling that had a disability. And I was really amazed at how the other like siblings came in when I was working like one on one during sessions. They would come in and watch what I was doing with their their little brother. And um, kind of like go in and, and kind of look at what I'm doing and learn and practice the same skills and everything so that, you know, they carried on when I wasn't there. And I think that's what I attribute to the fact that he wasn't talking when we first started working with him. And within six months he was talking and then you couldn't stop him. <laughs> and, I, and I told the siblings that I went back and I told them. Yeah, I was like, you guys did this. I'm only in here like two times a week for like barely an hour. You guys are here like all the time. You guys participated in this. You guys helped him get to this point. And they were super yeah. happy about that. <laughs> I remember my, my daughter saying um, the one time, I want speech therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't need it, but she just wanted it because she just loved the therapist and she mm-hmm. loved all the attention Erica was getting. But it it was it was kind of cute and i was like well you can help erica you know so we started to um to do little uh, at at the end of her therapy session we would include her you know mm-hmm. doing things so yeah. that was a good uh, provider that said okay let's include this sister and and we can teach her how to play with her right right and how was it kind of uh i guess keeping and maintaining the relationships with like other like extended family members cuz sometimes also if especially if you're dealing with like cultural things, some families may not quite understand what autism is. And so you have to kind of explain it. Um, did you have any kind of like, I won't say like bumps, but have any situations where you had to explain or did everyone kind of just rally around? Cause I know that can be, it can be difficult for the extended family to kind of wrap their heads around this as well. I, I would say the hardest was, um, so I come from a big Hispanic family mm-hmm. um, and the hardest was my grandmother. She just mm-hmm. couldn't quite, it, you know, but I understand she just wasn't around autism. Mm-hmm. So I really had to educate her. And, um, you know, she was really big on the discipline thinking that, you know, maybe she right. needed a little more discipline. But um, it's funny how as time went on, they just grew to love each other and understand each other. And um, Erica's always been a really good judge of character and gives everyone a, a it gives everyone a fair chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as long as they're showing the love to her, uh, she's given it right back. And I feel like that's been the experience with our family. And um, everyone is, you know, everyone was lighting it up blue for autism for Erica. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have a lot of family support, which is great. They love her and, and she loves our family, too. Oh, that's awesome. Super awesome. Um, now as far as kind of like getting back in a little bit on what kind of you do, like your, your actual like role at, at early steps, how did kind of like the, the, the first job as mom kind of like shape and help you with this, uh, position now that you're kind of talking to other families, you started talking about a little bit in the beginning, but I wanted to go into it a bit more. The sad thing about it is that things that I was going through 23 years ago, it's mm-hmm. still happening now. Yeah. Where children are still um, you know, they're still saying wait, 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 mm-hmm. you know, um and also sometimes it's hard to find providers, insurance. Okay. Sometimes it's hard um so these are things that are still happening and the rates are still going up. The latest number is 1 in 36. Yep. Yep, I it's, saw that. You know, children that are that are, it's just just came out um, and so we see that there really still needs to be big changes. And um, I feel like the awareness part is good. Mm-hmm. There is awareness. Mm-hmm. Now we have to get over like, okay, now let's get services going quickly. Mm-hmm. Let's not have the stigma, you know, just let's not stigmatize autism. Let's just realize that this is something our child has. Let's work on making them be the best they can. And, uh, you know, hopefully right now the supply and demand is not in line. So there's more need than there is providers. So I'm hoping that that's going to change. Yeah. Um, But there's still a lot of wait lists, especially in our area, you know, and it's kind of breaking apart. But, 
you know, I'm really happy when we get the families that call early um, and they get their kids into early step. What's nice about being part of early step is even if they don't have a diagnosis yet or maybe the families just aren't sure, we can really guide them as to where they can do that. But in the meantime, the child is still getting therapy. Right. So it's really um, all about parent coaching. And I always tell the parents, you're the best teachers. We're going to come in and we're going to coach you, but it's ultimately up to you, you know, right. and uh, we can, we can help them. Uh, another really good thing about being part of the state program is that by the time the child is three, uh, we will help them with that transition. So if they qualify for the school services, so early steps, we work on development. So uh, we work from birth to three on helping the child meet their developmental milestone. Once they turn three, unfortunately, we have to turn them over to the state. Um, it's called Part B. Early steps is Part C of the Individual Developmental Education Act. So now uh, Part B is looking at how we're going to educate. And that's when we will create an IEP. Well, not our program, but then the school board will create an individual education plan. So what's nice is being part of an early steps. The early steps families get first in line. And by the third birthday, we try our best to make sure that the schools get them in a placement. Yeah. So we can help with transition. It, I'm really happy at the fact that, you know, I can kind of refer, you know, different families and other you know, providers to refer to early steps because of the fact that if the family's not ready, they, you know, yeah. they you know, for like a full blown diagnosis, like you said, we, you know, a team can start being put together. And a lot of times, you know, by the time, and hopefully by the time they get to three, I've had some kids who have kind of aged out of the program before or not aged out, but like they, they kind of graduated out, I guess you could say where they didn't need services anymore. Or if they did need services afterwards, we already had a really good scaffolding in place and knew exactly what needed to be worked on, as opposed to, you know, if you're just coming in kind of blind. And I agree that there is definitely a huge uh, shortage of providers, especially in our area here in um, Palm Beach County. And yes, there are wait lists galore. And we're, I know there's several of us that are, and eventually I think we're going to make a full on kind of like coalition but we're trying to look at that side of it and see if we can't kind of at some point talk to the different local colleges and see if we can kind of like persuade people to kind of either go into these fields more or if they're into those fields, be more open to working with autistic individuals like across the, yeah. the lifespan. Because I think some there are some that are going into those fields, but they're a little shy about the idea of, you know, working with uh, anyone on the spectrum or with severe delays or anything like that. And I think if they just kind of got to intern in different organizations that do this kind of work and stuff like that, I think it would reduce a lot of that, uh, the stigma and the fear and, and anxiety associated with it for sure. And I think, you know, when you think about it, it really all stems in school. In mm -hmm. the very beginning, if our children are exposed and if they're mainstreamed, they're not going to be afraid. They're not going to be have have fear of mm -hmm. anyone that's different, you know. And so I really like this new um, initiative to push towards mainstreaming. Um, you know, when I was in school, there was always, you know, the one hallway that the, uh, you know, the the special needs kids were in and they mm -hmm. really kept them separate, which is really such a disservice because think about it. You know, we want uh, all of our uh, typical peers to get to know our children because maybe someday they, they're going to be the ones to hire our children <laughs> to mm -hmm. work or whatever. So if they've never been exposed to anybody with special needs. How are they going to see that they can have some really cool gifts that and they can be a real asset? Right, right. I know there's like a up like one or two schools in the school district that are kind of uh being put as like the 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 leaders or the the uh I don't even say test run because it's not a test run at this point they're doing great um the one I know off the top of my head is Alamanda Elementary up mm -hmm. in Palm Beach Gardens they I think they said they had like 14 or 15 autism like classrooms so um yes. yeah that that's a heads up if you have any families that are getting ready to age out and especially if they're in that area um, and even if they're not, they might be able to get like the school voucher program to be able to go or, or get, you know, be able to go to that school because of the fact that, hey, my child has these needs. This is why they need to go yeah. to this particular school. 
but that's kind of like that's what they're known for is having a really good like autism system and having the kids interact with the typical developing kids as well and it's awesome i said this needs to be a you know a a uh, uh you know kind of like a uh, a platform or a um blueprint for like other schools going forward and uh folks yeah. at the school have even said yeah that's that's what we hope to accomplish is to have it be you know the blueprint for other schools that want to do this and have more integrated you know services and programs and have the kids you know getting the services and, and the help that they need, but also being able to interact with other kids. Yeah. You know, what was nice was um, my daughters went to high school together and mm. they were able to be in an integrated ta- uh, track team. Oh, for nice. Special Olympics. Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, and they got to compete together. Uh, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. And um, I remember my daughter said to me the one time, man, I wish Erica had that kind of autism, you know, but because it was good for them, you know, right. they were able to bring on other kids with autism and, and, you know, see, you know, there was this, this kid that was just super cool and that she got along with really good. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I just started laughing because I'm like, yep, you know how autism is, yep. comes in all, all, you meet someone with autism, you meet someone with autism. Exactly. But it was One nice person. that she had that, uh, you know, she had that experience to be able to do track together. And Erica loved having her sister be on the same track team together. Oh, that is awesome. We, that's another, we definitely need more of that. Um, any other kind of words of advice that you would have for uh, parents and families kind of who are either just embarking on this journey or getting to some of the the, the bumpier parts of it, like adolescence or aging, you know, out turning 18 or 23 and heading out to the world, like anything else you can think of? Well, I really think that we just have to make sure that we're allowing our kids to be the best that they can be. And sometimes we have a vision for them, but, um, you know, remember this is their journey too. So we just have to give them all the great tools. Um, but by I always love to say we have to, no one rises to low expectations. So we have to put some high expectations. Um, one thing is, you know, we have to teach them manners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just one, just one thing, just because they have special needs doesn't mean that they shouldn't have manners. Right. Um, but we have to make dreams and goals for them and, and help them achieve them. But uh, they, they definitely have to put the hard work in there. But um, we have to remember that we can only do our best. And remember that your child will love you no matter what. Very good words. Um, I think a lot of times during the journey, um, I've had parents actually, you know, sit there and say, and it kind of breaks my heart when I hear this, like, oh, I don't think my my kid even like cares about me because they don't hug me or they don't make eye contact. And I said, well, there may be other ways that they're showing that, you know, that they care. They, the child may not have, you know, eye contact because that's overwhelming for them or, you know, hugging may be overwhelming, but do they do other things? Like, um, I know one kiddo, for example, he was not a hugger or anything like that, but I remember during a session, I remember my grandmother had, had just passed at that time. And I, for the most part, I was able to keep it together, but there was one moment where I kind of slipped a little bit and I got a little sad. And this was a child that normally kind of seemed like he was just in his own world. He actually came over, he stopped what he was doing. He came over to me and my head was kind of down. He lifted my head up and looked me in the eyes as if, you know, looking like, are you okay? And he never looks anyone in the eyes. And I was like, and I was like, oh, I'm, it's okay. I'm okay. And then he smiled and then he went right back to what he was doing. So even if, piggybacking off what you said, even if, you know, it's not like in the way that you think, you know, or typical ways that we show affection. Kids in the spectrum still will, you know, show some kind of, show something to, you know, indicate that they care or that they are kind of tuned in, even if you don't think they're tuned in. They're far more tuned in than you think. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think my daughter was ultra, ultra Mm -hmm. sensitive. Um, Mm -hmm. She was the type, like, she knew, like, if a baby was crying, she'd get upset. Like, she'd want to see and she'd want to help. And um, yeah, she was so not typical in that sense like she was the one that liked the hugs you know mm. so she wanted to hug by everyone and mm-hmm. um, I had to be careful at one point she liked bald heads so we have a lot of funny stories <laughs> we could write a book you know we were in church one day and she just like literally went up to someone and just you know started rubbing the guy's head uh, that was sad <laughs> but um you know uh so and, and she always wanted to um be a comforter 
Mm-hmm. So if anything, she was more empathetic than what people sometimes generally will say about kids that autism that aren't caring. She right. was just the opposite. Right. I think that's the, the case a lot of times. Like, oh, they're actually, and even autistic adults will say, actually, you know, we were over empathetic and it was actually yeah. like as a, as a, you know, it became a fault because we would care too much. And that would set yes. us up to be, you know, kind of, that's something I know autistic adults have talked about a lot, being uh, manipulated or, and things like that, because they care too much. Yes. yes. So I'll say that's something also, once they become adults, I think parents should, should keep an eye out and look out for and keep an eye on who they're hanging out with, who their friends are, and, you know, just little things like that. Yeah, that's a little bit of a fear, you know, yeah. because you, you just sometimes don't know who has good intentions. Right. You know, right. Sometimes I think that's that's where it's hard. Maybe they don't get those social cues, mm-hmm. you know, and they could be taken advantage of. So that's another thing. I mean, make sure that once they get older, um, you know, that you have your guardianship in order. And in Florida, it's really good because you can be a um, you can be a, a guardian advocate, so mm-hmm. you don't have to be a full on um a guardian guardianship. Um, but you have to remember it's important to have that guardianship because if anything should happen medically, um, anything financially, anything educationally, you know, um, if they're not able to make those decisions for themselves, they can really get taken advantage. You know, if someone says, Hey, give me your credit card and they give it to them and they go and, you know, spend all this money, there's no way you're going to get it back unless you have that uh, guardianship in place. Right. Great. That was a great point at the end there about the guardianship. So you have a lovely little kind of like inspiration story. And I wanted to save this for the end because um, you kind of told it to me and I absolutely loved it. And so I want you to kind of tell folks now, like the story that you told me about uh, how your daughter kind of uh, inspired someone at her school, I think, if I remember right. So there are some times when you really never know the impact that your child will make. And this is a story that happened to me. So I always made it a point to have my daughter have some sort of inclusive inclusive activity in her education plan. So all through her educational career, I wanted her to be mainstreamed um, a portion of her day. Um, Normally, she had to be in a self-contained classroom, but once in a while, you know, she'd be able to go out and be mainstreamed. And that was important to me and to Erica. So there was a point in third and fourth grade where she was very um, into science and did very well in science. And so one of the science teachers said, we'd love to have Erica come into our classroom. And and, um, so I reached out to the teacher and I said, before Erica goes there, is there any way that I can come? and speak to the classroom a little bit about her and kind of educate them about how to be a friend uh, with someone with autism. So she was very open to it. Um, I went in and the kids were so great. I can Mm -hmm. tell this was the age group where I was like, this is the age we have to get to these kids. They were Mm -hmm. just really uh, wanting to help. Uh, Many of them were, you know, not all, but many of them were wanting to help. But what I did was I told them a little bit about Erica. I showed them pictures of how she horseback rided and she surfed and I really kind of uh, made her into a cool human that she is Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know maybe looking at her they would see that she's not real conversationalist and um, you know maybe she would have moments where she would have anxiety and flap and stuff but but yet they knew she could do all these cool things so uh, what the teacher did was she made little groups of helpers So Erica would have a team. Every time she'd go in, she'd have little peer mentors. Mm -hmm. So um, she did really good. So it was like, I think third and fourth grade, like she literally did those two years with the the different peer mentors. Well, fast forward to high school, her senior year, she was asked to be in a play. And the play was from a student that was a drama major. And she wanted to use the exceptional education class for her play that she made. And it was really cool. It was like a play about, um, she kind of did a fairy tale, but kind of mixed it up and made it really modern. And the Mm. kids did great and they loved it. 
So the name of the girl was Celeste. And after the program, I went up to her and I said, could I give you a big hug as the parent of, you know, a child with autism? Uh, we don't usually have our kids included in things like this. And it was so awesome to see them feel so good about themselves. They had high, such high self-esteem. And as parents, we, we all loved it too, because mm -hmm. we're like, wow, our kids are on stage. So she said, um, Miss Eno, don't you remember me? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. She goes, I'm Celeste. I was Erica's ear buddy in fourth grade. And because of her, I decided that I'm going to go be a drama therapist. I'm going to school for that. And I'm going to work with children with autism. Wow. And so I could yeah. not believe it. And it made me feel good. And I told her that she really made my day because you just never know, you know, the impact yeah. that our kids in this world. And it was just affirmation. I, I think my kid is super special, but to hear someone else say that it was because of her, they're going to go on to give back and help other children with autism. It was really super special. Yeah. And that's why we kind of need that, that, that circle of, of, you know, all of them kind of being together and getting to, and, and neurotypical kids getting to understand what, you know, and interact with neurodiverse kids. And that's how you build like not sympathy, but empathy and understanding. Yeah. And with those, that's when you get, that's how we can get more people who are willing to be providers and go into the field. And it yes. all, it all kind of feeds yes. into each other. <laughs> yes. yes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to follow up with her. Maybe next time we talk, I'm going to see how she's doing. Cause it's been a few years now. So hopefully mm -hmm. she did follow through with her plan and she's continuing to help, you know, help our children. That would be awesome. Now, um, Natalie, if there's a, a family out there kind of like in the area, I, I don't know if you have like a certain region that you kind of cover, but even if they're just interested in early steps overall, how can they, you know, start the ball rolling with early steps? How can they possibly get in contact with you? Um, anything like that? Because I'm sure there are some that are probably going to be curious now. Uh, yes, actually. Um, so I work for the Treasure Coast Early Step Program. Mm -hmm. So there's 15 early steps within the state of Florida. And Treasure Coast, um, our territory is Palm Beach County, Martin, St. Lucie, Okeechobee, and Indian River. Okay. So we help all of, we have five counties in Treasure Coast. And um, I'm going to give you the intake number. Okay. I'm going to give you the right number. <laughs> no but, problem. Uh, it's really, what's nice about it is parents can self-refer. Mm -hmm. So you don't even need a, a provider or a doctor. I mean, most of our referrals come from them. Mm -hmm. But if parents feel like they just want to see where their kids are developmentally, if, if they've looked at the CDC milestones and they see that maybe their child is not meeting their developmental milestones or, or just have any questions, but they can bring them in for the free evaluation. Mm -hmm. And it's 561-882-6426. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm always one for like, Hey, if I'm going to have, you know, someone on who has, who has like connections to a resource or something, let's share the resource. Cause that's what we need to do in this County is because, <laughs> you yeah. know, sometimes the resources can be kind of thin. And like I said, I have personal experience of early steps. It's an amazing program full of some really incredible people. And, um, yeah, it's, I I've seen like kind of the work that can be done to help kids when they get in there, when they get in early and, when everyone's working kind of as a team, everyone from the family service coordinator to the to, to your position, to the parents, to the providers, when the whole team's working together, it amazing things happen. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for again for for coming on. I, it was lovely talking to you. It's always lovely talking to you, and I'm sure I will probably see you at some point in time during the month of April because there's all kinds of things going on, uh, in in the county right now. So um, I'm sure I'm going to see you at something because I'm going to be at a, a several different things. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. <laughs> Natalie, do you have a um, email address or a phone number or contact information if families are interested in uh, speaking to you and, and, and what you do with Early Steps? Sure. Uh, for anyone that would like to get a hold of me, they can email me at n and my last name is E-N-O at F-L dot 
easterfield.com. So that's N-E-N-O at F-L dot easterfield.com. Great. Thanks. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, and I really look forward to working together with you, too. Awesome. Once again, I want to thank Natalie for coming on to the podcast and talking with us and sharing her experience about being both a provider and an autism mom. I think it's important that we kind of look at both sides, and I love when we can get guests on who do kind of see both sides of the, you know, of the equation, so to speak, and echo kind of the same things we've been talking about a lot on this podcast and where, where we're doing well and where, you know, areas in the autism field where we could, you know, improve for sure. If you are interested in coming on to the podcast, or if you are interested in services or maybe helping to, you know, get connected with Natalie or any of the guests that I've had on previously, go ahead and, and look me up. Uh, my email address is angelw, A-N-G-E-L-W at sparkguidance.com, S-P-A-R-C-G-U-I-D-A-N-C-E.com. You can also go to my website, www.sparkguidance.com. I do trainings for organizations and businesses and daycare centers and schools on autism and related conditions and how to work with autistic kids, teens, and adults. Uh, if you want the main website for this podcast, that is sparkupautism.com. So S-P-A-R-C-U-P-A-U-T-I-S-M.com. And of course, this podcast can also be found on Spotify, on Apple Music, on like every platform you can think of. This podcast is pretty much on it. So you can look up there to find, uh, you know, soon this episode and all of the past episodes that we've done uh, for seasons one and now season two. So I think that's everything for today. Thank you again so much for listening in. I appreciate each and every one of you as listeners. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night, whatever time it is when you're listening. And as always, be blessed. Don't be stressed. Bye.